The following sermon is from Pastor Mac Roller at Glen Meadows Baptist Church in San Angelo, Texas. In the book of Ephesians, we will continue our series dealing with seeking Him, just a prelude or an involvement of reviving the body of Christ. Just a freshness and walking in seasons of refreshing is what we desire. We believe, this is what I really believe, that we as individuals can have a greater, a more dynamic relationship with the Lord than we've ever had in the future. I believe we as a church can become more dynamic and becoming the fulfillment of what God has in mind if we follow these themes that we've been talking about and these themes of repentance, these themes of grace, and we're on the subject of grace today. And as we read Ephesians chapter two, we will be looking at four different aspects or seasons of these grace. And the first one looks at, first of all, what, what, what you were without Christ. And when, I mean, the first few verses, first three verses just shows you and me what we are outside of Christ. Paul is writing to people that were in Ephesus, a very pagan city, uh, a horrible place to live to be a Christian. And he was telling them, look, this is what you used to be like. And then we're also going to look at what has happened to us since we met Christ. And then we're going to be looking at what we can be in Christ, the potential that you and I have in Christ, and then ultimately, you know, what we are going to be uh, in, in the future. So who we were, what happened to us, what we can be, and what we actually will be in Christ. And so let's just read God's word together. It's in Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse one. And here's what the word of God says. It says, and you were, past tense, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked. According to the worldly age, according to the ruler of the atmospheric domain, the spirit now working in those who are disobedient. Verse three, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires carrying out the inclinations of the flesh or fleshly desires, carrying out, carrying out the flesh and thoughts. And by nature, we were the children under wrath as the others were also. And then verse four is a major shift, but God. Here's this bad situation, here's this bad condition, but then God comes into the picture and changes everything. But God, let's look what he did. He is abundant in mercy because of his great love that he has for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in our trespasses. By grace you have been saved, verse six. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Verse seven looks into the future. It looks far into our future. So that, this is the purpose of all of this that we're reading, from verses 1 through 10, so that, it's kind of the crescendo that's put right in the middle of the thought, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So here's all how all this takes place. Verse 8, for by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not of yourself, it's, the, it's God's gift. Not from works, in case you're confused, who's responsible for your salvation. It's not based on what you do. So it's not by works so that we could boast. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. So let's look at what you were without Christ. 
assuming you've come to know Jesus. So the first part, you were the walking dead. That's what you were. Look what it says. You're the walking dead. You don't have to turn to your neighbor and say, you were the walking dead. They already know it. We're the walking dead. It says this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked. You say, I don't remember being dead in my trespasses and sin. No, no, really. You were. In fact, when Adam fell into sin, through the bloodline, through the whole world into sin, we have a sinful nature. And the sinful nature is counted right here in God's word as dead. It's like someone that fell off a cliff and is at the bottom of the ravine and they're dead. It's not like they're at the bottom of the ravine and they need somebody to hand them a rope so that they can pull themselves up. You can't do that. Dead, dead, dead. No medicine, no hope whatsoever. Already past the point of any kind of slumbering or resuscitation, completely dead. And that's what we are like spiritually. We cannot save ourselves. You and I, we're not that good. We just can't. We can't overcome the deadness of the soul. Now, obviously, um, it goes even further than that. Look, look what else. But not only are we dead, but we were following the devil. It says, you, you walked according to this worldly age, according to the rulers of the atmospheric domain, the spirit now working in the disobedience. So he's saying this, that not only were you dead, but you were demonic or you, you, you followed the devil. And, you know, to be honest with you, I don't remember being a devil worshiper. I don't remember having a pentagram and, and, and sacrificing things to in witchcraft and all this other devilish type stuff. I don't remember that. No, it's a whole lot more subtle than that. The devil isn't behind every rock. He's behind every other rock. The devil doesn't have horns or a tail, but the devil is real and the devil does control as it says, he's the prince and the power of the atmospheric, the realm in which we live. And if you don't see that, if you don't detect demonic activity, meaning just wayward to Christ or away from God, pulling people away from God, that's what the devil wants to do. If you don't detect that, then you have a serious perception problem and you have a spiritual problem as well. The devil is very much alive and very much real. And it may not necessarily be in all the things that we traditionally think of as the devil, but it comes in forms of the things you watch, the things that comes in your brain, the things that you meditate upon. And it says that we followed the enemy. We followed the prince of the power of the air as if he's the puppeteer. And we follow the music, we follow the dance, and next thing you know, hook, line, and sinker, we're saying the same things that he says, the devil says. I wanna kill myself, that's what the devil says. I hate people, that's what the devil says. God can't do this, that's what the devil says. I don't need to think about the good things, I don't even need to try to be good. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's what the devil says. Don't you see this happening all around? You don't even have to watch a TV show, just watch the commercials. It's just all around us, everywhere. And you need, you need to see these things, that they're there. And so we used to be, we used to follow the enemy like that, but also we were addicted to our desires. And we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts. In other words, if you can think about it, then you just wanna do it. If you have an inclination in the heart, then you just follow the heart and you tell everybody, look, don't judge me. I'm doing what my heart says. And you're like, look, you got a stinking heart. The heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? And so we did that. But not only that, we were doomed, eternally doomed. 
We were by nature children of wrath. You say, by nature? What's that mean? Oh, you got a sinful nature. I have a sinful nature. And God's wrath is upon the sinful nature. And you say, well, well, don't I have a free choice? Absolutely you have a free choice. You have a free will. But your volition is based on your disposition. Where's what we mean by that? You can choose to do whatever you want as long as it's consistent with your sinful nature. That's who we were. Without Christ, that's who we are. It's like a, anybody have a, have a goldfish or a guppy or whatever else. Maybe you have a really cool aquarium that's salt water and you got some exotic fish and you spend a lot of time on that. We have some really cool fish in the nursery and it's just, it's really cool. We clean those tanks and, and you know what? Those fish can swim anywhere they want to as long as they stay in the aquarium, right? You can choose anything you want to as someone that doesn't know Christ as long as it, it's within your simple nature. In fact, you say, no, no, I've seen bad people do good things. Yeah, but Jesus said it this way. Even your righteousness is like filthy rags to God because of the nature. And that's, that's basically, so this is not good. This is, this is really bad. And you say, Brother Mac, I didn't tune in today. I didn't come today to hear bad news. I don't need some good news. No, no, listen. Uh, sometimes you need to hear what reality is so that you can step on into the blessings. Um, have you ever been uh, really sick? Maybe you had something that a doctor couldn't find out. My wife spent all last year pretty sick and lots of surgeries. And there would be times where we would wait for after MRIs and all kinds of other tests and CAT scans and for them to come back and tell us. And, and they would, they would come back and they say, listen, we found the problem. And the problem, you're gonna have to have another surgery. It's not gonna be good, but here's what's gonna happen. And they would speak the truth. But imagine if they were back in their little cubby hole and they're looking at the CAT scans and looking at the x-rays and looking at all the blood work and they're like, well, she's in bad shape, but I don't want to tell her. Why don't you tell her? I don't want to tell her. Just go in there and say, hey, I'm okay, you're okay, everybody's okay because we don't want to tell you the bad news. I mean, would that go well for you? Wouldn't have gone well for my wife. I'm glad someone just came up and said, listen, here's the issue. It's just reality. This is what's happening but we're gonna fix this. And it's gonna be a little painful, but we're gonna fix it. And you're like, thank you for finding the problem. Look, sinful nature, we got a problem. It's a reality. Dead, demonic, desires, doom. That's what it says right here in the first three verses. We have an issue. And who can solve it? Well, we just learned we can't. You know, no one else can. You can get all the king's horses and all the king's men, but can't put little Mac back together again, or you just can't. So what happens? Can I draw your attention to verse four? If you have a pencil and you, and you like to write in your Bible, which I do, this is a verse to circle. Look at this. Verse four says this, but God who is abundant in mercy and because of his great love, he lavished on us. Let me, let me take a break just for a second. Let's just talk about God. It says that he literally, he entered the picture. All this is bad except, but then there's God. And it changes everything. And he is abundant in mercy. You know what mercy means? It's, it's really interesting. Mercy is, is this ability that God has that's so powerful that he is moved emotionally and judiciously and relationally 
towards you and out of that mercy, while we were dead, demonic and doomed and following our desires, God says, I don't care about that right now. I'm gonna move in with my mercy. And it says, motivated by his loving kindness, abundant mercy and his great love, that word, that loving kindness is, is agape or agape, and it just means in spite of your sin, in spite of your mess, I love you anyway, and God comes forth with his mercy. In fact, what's interesting, uh, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, the Greek translation is called the Septuagint. The Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible uses the word mercy every time the Hebrew word hesed is used, meaning covenant long-standing covenant language. My blood is for you. I will never give up on you. And that's what the depth of mercy and the depth of God's love. And because he loves you so much, look at what he did. So what has happened to you in Christ? As a believer, verse four through nine tells us, he made us alive, verse five. We were dead, now we're alive. Now that's powerful. That's called resurrection power. It's, it's not only making us alive spiritually, he will make you alive physically in eternity. So not only did he make us alive, but he also, he raised us. We were down in the pit and he raises us up. And then not only that, but he has seated us in the heavenly realms. So this is positional. Now, follow me here. This is a simple concept, but you've got to walk through some hoops to understand what exactly happened. Jesus died on the cross. He took the penalty of our sin because verse three says we were doomed. So he took the penalty of our sin and his resurrection power has made us alive, has raised us from the dead and now has seated us in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. Now here's what happens. This is all positionally. Uh, you have a, a new place. You have a new realm as a believer. You now sit with Christ. Where's Jesus right now? Where's he right now? I mean, I know he's everywhere, but I mean, what the Bible says where he is. He is at the right hand of who? The Father, making intercession for us. And here's what it says. When the Father sees you, he sees you lifted up in righteousness, seated at the right hand of the Father, just like his very own son. Now, let's do a little work with this. I mean, when, when, when you think about you, you need to think of you like this, that you've been transformed. You were dead, now you're alive. You were, you were down, now you've been raised. You were doomed, but now you're seated at the right hand of God. And you need to take captive every single thought that's contrary to the way God really sees you. You know, you, you may say, look, I've got a past that I'm, I don't wanna talk about. I don't want anybody to know about. You know what? God don't see that past. He sees you seated at the right hand of God. You, know? you, you may have had a big fall yesterday. Christian, listen to me. You may have a big fall yesterday. You know what? As you repent, God sees you as his son and you are lifted up. Here's, here's how this works, folks. This is how we, when we talk about seeking him and pressing in in light of his grace, then what you and I do, we learned, we, we are learning as a church how to pray scripture and beat it down into our soul to where when you're praying, you pray, uh, Worship-based, you, you, when you read this, you're gonna worship God. You, 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 you're Holy Spirit-led, but you're also Scripture-fed while you pray. And you pray things like this, Lord, I mean, really do this, please. 
Grab your Bible, open it up, turn to Ephesians 2 and begin to pray this. Say, God, I used to be dead. I used to be bad. I used to be all this, but you changed me and I worship your name. And then you go into this and you just say, Lord, this says that you see me as alive and raised and seated next to you. Listen to me. Any thought that comes in your mind right now when you're doing that at that point that says, no, that can't be true or you're not good enough or, or you remember this or remember that, you take that thought captive and say, no, it's not my thoughts. It's what God says. And you repeat it day after day after day and your life starts to transform on a whole nother level. Look, who you think you are and who you think God thinks you are is the greatest thought you could ever have when they're accurate. It just is when it's accurate. It's a powerful thing. So here's what we're saying. Um, because of this, you have been saved. Look at this last point. You have been saved from the penalty of sin by grace. It's a past tense thing. Notice the tense of the words. You were dead. You have been saved. You have been raised. You have been seated. In fact, in the, in the tense, the mood, and the voice of the Greek, it's saying this. This event took place now, and it's a, it's a done deal, and the ramifications just keep on happening. You've been seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. You've been raised. You're at the right hand of God, and the benefits just keep pouring. It's been done. Now we live in the privilege, in the sonship rights of all that God gives us. This will change your life, folks. If, if, you, if, you don't, if you're not seeing it, then you need to look harder. It's radical. But also, I also want to look at what we can be in Christ. So this is what has happened to us. We have been saved from the penalty and the consequences of that sin. But now we're being saved from the power of sin. We have been saved from the penalty. We are being saved from the power of sin. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. You are going to go to heaven. But we are now continually being right now in a process of being saved from the power of sin that's upon your life. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, let me, let me just show you. I'm going to throw up a list of different things that you and I uh, might, uh, might come in, in contact with. You might want to say, I am strongly tempted by sin. You might, you might say, look, I feel overpowered by the pull of a particular sin in my life. You may say, I know what God wants me to do, just don't have the desire to obey him. I mean, have you ever had that? So look, I know God wants me to do this, I just don't want to. Or I really want to obey God, but I don't have the capacity to do it. I feel inadequate. And all these things. And if, 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 if those were check boxes, would you check any one of those boxes and say, that's me? You know, I feel overpowered by the pull of a particular sin of mine. There's a certain sin in your life you keep stumbling into, and when it presents itself, you fall into it. Is that you? Uh, or I'm strongly tempted by other sins, or um, you may find yourself like Paul in Romans chapter 7. Uh, I don't do the things I should do, and I do the things I shouldn't do. Oh, wretched man of my soul, who will deliver me from my bondage of death? Actually, I bet everybody here could check one of those boxes. In fact, I bet everybody here could probably check every one of those boxes because our relationship with sin is still there. So how do you overcome that? How do you become the kind of person that is no longer falling into this? Well, let me show you. And it's, it's the grace that saves you 
is the same grace that empowers you. It's by grace. Let me show you this. It's just powerful. The Bible says it this way. Grace gives us power not to sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 14 says it this way. It says, for sin will not rule over you because you're not under the law, but you're under grace. So sin has no power in the presence of grace. Grace overpowers sin every single time. So keep that in mind. You got, you got sin, you got grace. Grace, you, know, you ever play Pac-Man? Eats it up every time. I don't know why that popped in my head. It just did. Just the way I think sometimes. Eats it up for breakfast. Grace demolishes sin every single time. It's just a fact. It's a reality. It's how it works. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse, 6, verse 13 says this. You might want to mark this one in your Bible too. It's just something to keep in mind. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. In other words, you're not going, right now, you're not going through any temptations that I don't go through and other people don't go through. We all go through the same kind of temptations. Remember this. There ain't nobody in this room better than anybody else. We got that? It's just a reality. So, but there's, so there's no, you're not going through any temptation that someone else hasn't already gone through. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. My brothers and sisters, that's grace. But grace also gives us the, the path of victory. It shows us the way out. One of my favorite passages is Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. And it says this, For the grace of God has appeared to all men, bringing salvation to all people, including or instructing us, in other words, driving us and instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous life in a godly way in this present age. So here's what grace does. Grace saves you, that's the past, but also grace instructs you. It's the grace of God. Grace instructs you and empowers you. That's what it says. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, or you can just read it on the screen with me. And it says, And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Do you see the connection? Do you see what we're driving home here? You want to overcome sin. You want to become what God sees you at, seated at the right hand of God, then you and I need grace. Do you, do, you, do you hunger for this grace? Look at what it's doing. It has a lot of power. How much power does God's grace have? You may have wondered that. Can, can, is there enough grace that God would allow me to love my spouse the way I'm supposed to love my spouse? By the way, marriage conference coming up in two weeks. It's going to be fantastic. You're going to love it. We're going to have incredible food. We're going to be safe and spread out. we got barbecue. Barbecue, Luke, coming in? You don't know. Who's cooking? Okay, anyway, we're going to have some incredible food. We're going to have some really good food. I'm pretty sure it is barbecue, by the way. And then Chick-fil-A. You know, it's just the way it works. Um, and it's all going to come safe in boxes, and we're going to watch some videos, and we're going to talk together. It's going to be really good. My wife and I are going to be here. It's going to be a lot of fun, so. The power of God's grace. Will God, does God's grace have enough power to allow me to love these people that when they're on TV, TV talking politics and I hate them 
Is there enough grace to actually change my mind towards that person? That'd take a lot of grace, wouldn't it? It would take a lot of grace. Do I have enough grace that when I watch the Super Bowl tonight, if my team loses, I still can call my friends, say congratulations, I'm glad you won, I'm glad you beat us. Do I have enough grace to suffer when God calls me to suffer? Do I have enough grace? In fact, we read this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Or Did we read or am I about to? I can't remember if that was last service that we did it or in this service. I get confused. Let's just read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. In other words, yeah, we, are, we did already read that. What this is saying, this is a passage on giving. God, will you give me the grace? Is your grace powerful enough to turn me into from a hoarder or someone selfish to someone who is a giver? How powerful is God's grace? So sometimes when I travel, I'll go to a country that like, like China, when we go to China or we go to Israel or wherever, and, and I'll take like my hair dryer and it's got a little, it's got prongs that look like this, you know, two little prongs that are flat and skinny, but they don't fit into the receptacles in these other countries because they're, those receptacles, they, they're pins and they're spread apart. And, and so I get an adapter and it allows my plug to fit in those plugs and I turn on, I remember the first time. I was gonna dry my hair because I didn't want to catch a cold. And so I'm drying my hair and it goes really fast. I was like, I'm like, this is awesome until it catches on fire and burns up, singes my hair. And it's because the power there is a 220 grid, right? Where we have what? 110, right? Voltage, 110 and 220. So my 110 dryer doesn't work in a 220 because it's, it's messed up. So what I needed, I needed a converter, not just an adapter. A converter takes that, those amps or that those voltage and changes it to where it actually runs in my dryer. In fact, nowadays, little dr hair dryers have a little switch. You can switch it from 220 to 110 if you, and, or, or a curling iron. Uh, not that I use a curling iron. I didn't take a curling iron for me. My wife had a curling iron and she's got a little switch on it. You just flip it and it turns to 220. And it, it's, it's, a, it's a conversion. So how much power does God have? Unlimited power. I mean, more power to, to charge up New York City. You know, it's not, that's nothing. The power to change your cravings and your desires, the, the power to give you grace that enables you to do all that he wants and all that, that you want. In fact, let's read this. Ephesians chapter three, verse 20, one of my favorite verses. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, so more, he has more power than you can imagine. And this power he wants to work within you and within me. But here's the problem. We have a conversion problem. We, we, we don't, we're not able to tap in to the, the amount of grace and power that God wants us. And here's why. Some of us, we have small conversion. We, we, we have low expectation that makes small conversion. We have, we have, a lack of knowledge of God's word that really hampers down the power of God. We, we don't pray like Jesus taught us to pray and that really sucks down the power that God doesn't want us to give. We, we don't like other people in church and oh, that just ceases and stops. 
The power of God for moving. We don't have a heart for the lost. And the power of God is sucked down to nothing. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, as we go through the series and we're talking about the grace of God and the ability of God, and we talk about repentance and we talk about revival, this is our time to grow in our capacity and no longer have a reducer. I mean, we have, we open up the chains of the power of God because he's already instructed us how to do this. So we as a church, when we say we are seeking God in grace, that means this, that I am willing to do whatever God calls me to do to allow his grace to seat among us and lead us and guide us, and it changes us on the inside. I've got the greatest news you'll ever hear, and that is God loves you, he's rich in mercy, and he's full of grace. He forgives all of your sins as you come to him in the cross. You do this by coming to him in prayer and just saying, God, here's what you say in prayer. You say, God, forgive me my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and rising from the dead to give me new life. Lord, come into my life, come into my heart and make me new. And I will follow you all the days of my life. If you pray a prayer like that, you are saved and welcome to your new life. Go find a life group leader, a Sunday school teacher, a deacon, a pastor, another friend, and just tell them, look, I prayed that prayer. And I want to get involved in the body, in the church. Would you do that? Thank you for listening to today's message from Pastor Mac Roller at Glen Meadows Baptist Church, where we exist to make disciples who make disciples by living life together. If you are blessed by today's message, we encourage you to go to our website at gmbc.org to check out previous sermons, leadership podcasts, upcoming events, and find out how you and your family can get connected. We can't wait to do life with you.